Welcome to Managing Marketing, and today I'm joined by Julia Vaju, who's Director Australia of SI Partners Global and also the founder of New Business Methodology. Welcome, Julia. Thank you, Darren. Um, Julia, I believe you've just had a 20-year anniversary of, uh, for that, that's for New Business Methodology? Exactly. Yes, very exciting. So 20 years of helping agencies with their positioning, their reputation, their marketing, their new business performance, yeah? Yes, I'd say it's really about having a sales plan and then from that leveraging marketing and PR to support it. So over that time, what have you noticed are the big trends and where are we today? That's a big question, isn't that it? That is a big question. I think it's interesting. Um, very excited to see the management consultants come into the space because that is forcing the clients I work with to think very differently um, or they won't be a lot around for very long, I think, or they'll be around in very different um, guises. So what I've been encouraging my clients to do and agencies I talk to is actually become creative management consultants because mm. um, I talk a lot about helping agencies to um, have a more sophisticated business conversation with their clients um, so that they're relevant to the C-suite and can have an interesting conversation with the CEO of their clients where the CEO sees it as value. So with the, the management consultants coming into the space, agencies can now start looking at hiring uh, business analysts that are ex-management consultants. They're able to have more rigor to the, the depth of how they view their clients' business. Um, and I think that'll just allow them to get all the business they want from all the clients they have, or at least have a really good shot at doing it. Yeah, because I remember, uh, what was it, the late 80s, 90s, mm. being in agencies, and even then there was conversations around the management consultants, you know, moving in on yeah. the agency space way back then. Yes. But there was always this smugness that, you know, as agencies, we own creativity and they're just, you know, number crunches and data analysts and things like that. Yeah. But I guess the technology, you know, digital marketing means that number crunches and analysts are uh, just as important <laughs> or in some cases possibly more important than the creative product. And I think what it allows you to do is show the value that the work is really doing with hard evidence as opposed to anecdotal or soft evidence. It also lets the agencies help the marketers elevate um, their position within the client side uh, stakeholders. So mm. marketers are still seen as the coloring in department, you know, and I think part of it is because the marketers aren't lifting their own sense of being growth drivers. There's two types of marketers, you know, mm. the ones that really focus on brand, but the others that are focused on, on brand and growth and the agencies that understand that and help the marketers elevate their own yeah. position internally are the ones that are, are blitzing it. The way we, we, we note that mm -hmm. is there are marketers that only own marketing communications. Mm. And then there are marketers which own more of the sort of portfolio of what marketing is. So they have influence on product, they have influence on things like distribution. You know, they really do have more 
control or at least responsibility for what's now being called you know the customer journey or the customer experience whereas if you're just the comms department often that does relegate you further down the the sort of decision making tree for the business exactly and i think there's it's it's an issue of how do agencies um, work with their clients so that their clients have more clout inside their own agency their own company mm. um, and I, I think one of the ways to tell what type of marketer you're working with if you're at an agency is does your client report directly to the ceo or not yeah and if there's a layer or two in between that's a pretty clear sign and especially in big organisations, you know, when you get these really big uh, companies, suddenly there's this sort of general executive level and marketing is reporting off here to someone. And, and I think the other thing is whether they control their own budget. Yes. You know, because you can even, it's interesting that you can have a marketing team that actually don't have say over their budget because the budget's actually held somewhere else within the organisation. So that marketing has been turned into almost like a service provider of the organisation. Organization. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. then as an agency, you're a service provider to a service provider. Exactly. Very weak position to be in. Sort of like video production to an agency. You're, you know, you yeah, hear yeah, about it at exactly. the very last minute. I think what happens is that the uh, the agencies aren't looking at how to help the clients um, track the results. The biggest complaint I get, and I know you've talked about this, is that the the clients aren't telling the agencies the results of the work they're doing, so they can't demonstrate the impact which means they can't differentiate themselves. Now, yeah. a lot of times the clients aren't tracking it, the other times they're not actually sharing it. So it's a combination in between. Yeah. Um, and that annoys me, that really annoys me because yeah. you know, we have all these effectiveness awards yeah. and there is no results. You know? In mm. fact, uh, I, the last time I ever judged any effectiveness award, I asked every agency that was presenting, what were the results? and not one could actually give me the results. And I said, well, so why are you entering effectiveness? And exactly. they said, the client was really happy with the results, so they must have been good. And I'm going, no, it doesn't cut it. Well, sometimes the great agencies help their clients get better. And so, you know, there's a series of questions you can ask a client that often challenges them. But if you ask them in the right way with rapport, right, you can't, you can never break rapport and say, what's the commercial context of what was going on in the country or the industry that led to a challenge happening to the company? So maybe there's a problem it created or an overlooked opportunity that the company said, we've got to do something about this we'll give it to marketing and then marketing has said you've got to achieve xyz kpi mm. at that point they write a brief and give it to the agency usually the agency just takes it and runs with it and says That's this right. is how we'll execute what i'm getting them to do is to ask those earlier questions and a lot of times their day-to-day -day, um contact in marketing isn't the cmo it's mm. you know a brand manager or you know some sort of marketing manager so those people aren't asking these bigger questions and if nobody's aligned to what the kpi is or what will make the marketer be told hey that was a great job by whoever else outside the silo then nobody knows what the impact is so yeah. it's all rather silly <laughs> no it is and, and you know we've been i've had personal experience where i've put pressure back on a marketer to ask them why why are you asking the agency to do this mm. and the response was i got told to yeah. yeah and it's like already you've positioned yourself as a service provider yeah. to whoever it asked you to. And I'm talking, they were a very senior marketer, 
but they had a comms role. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is the danger is that when you start losing sight of what is it that I'm trying to achieve mm. in a measurable way. Yes. Because, you know, often briefing, you know, oh, we want to build awareness. Well, who with and how much and where is it now? And, you know, like there's naturally a hundred questions to that to make it specific. Well, I've got a good one question for you that mm. my very good friend James Sykes asked. He's the, uh, uh, the ex-global um, head of uh, innovation for Beam Centauri. Yeah. And he used to ask all of his marketers, what line in the P&L are you targeting with the work that you're doing? Mm. And interestingly, a lot of marketers also don't have the commercial acumen to answer that. And I don't think it's a fault of their own because it's tactical quarterly numbers. You know, have we met our quarterly numbers? I'm working on this. They might be too deep in the silo to actually know what's going on in other departments with product or sales or retail. So it's not really all their fault. Or is it a failure of a lot of the marketing training, universities and the like, that we don't necessarily teach a working understanding of you know, financial reporting, how to read a balance sheet, how to read a P&L, how to actually understand what those numbers within each of those means, what, uh, you know, things like uh, liabilities and assets. And, you know, um, uh, you know, one of the questions I always ask marketers to get a sense of uh, their uh, financial literacy is what's the organization's IRR, you know, internal rate of return, because, for a marketer, that's a key thing because that's the value of money. Mm. If I'm going to use a budget of a certain amount, there is an expectation that the organisation will have that I can give a return exactly. on that budget. So and yet a lot of marketers just end up staring at you like, what's IRR? Exactly. And that's where I think the agencies can work with the marketers to go, look, if we produce X impact, sometimes it's not results, sometimes it's impact, mm -hmm. then can we get, you know, uh, double the, the marketing budget or an increase of 10% and that there's actually hurdle markers that you work to. Mm -hmm. um, interestingly, just the idea of agencies selling their IP, um, you probably know Catherine Williams from Catherine mm -hmm. Mintz, she's always talking about this great idea that um, agencies need to sell the IP. Um, interestingly, for the market, it doesn't come from the marketing budget. It actually comes, uh, it, it shows up as an asset on the balance sheet for the company. So these type of ideas, you know, if a marketer is working with an agency to create assets that probably outlive both of them mm. and are increasing the brand equity of the company, this is fantastic stuff. That would have to be a very enlightened CFO that's willing to put a marketing asset onto the balance sheet mm. because they would have to acknowledge it as a asset and that's something that a lot of them don't do. You know, they're willing, for instance, brand doesn't exist on the balance sheet very often. Well, I think when you're talking, you know, about brand equity and the likes of what all the brand evaluation um, uh, rankings are doing every year, uh, there are different elements of IP that are being seen as having value. So, um, yeah, it's usually um, uh, seen as part of goodwill, <laughs> which is well, on the balance sheet. Mm. You know, goodwill is on the balance sheet. Yes. But beyond that, I mean, the other issue is this whole concept of trust. Mm. You know, because there was a time that agencies and their clients, marketers, 
had a profound sense of trust. You know, they talked about being in partnership with each other, yeah. and uh, you know, partnership infers what you know what uh, happens for me is also going to happen for you. I think what's happened is that the agencies over probably the last two or three decades have become less aware of what's happening in business. I think they've focused on calm strategy, not business strategy. So, you know, it's not uncommon for most of the people in an agency not to be reading the business sections of publications. They don't know the stock prices of their publicly listed clients. They couldn't even name which of their, all of the publicly listed clients on their roster. It's just, they're not paying attention to a level that they should, which is why I think the management consultants are coming in and, you know, eating a bit of their lunch. Mm. Well, they certainly understand business. Uh, Michael Farmer um, yeah. wrote a, a couple of articles on this where he said that you know agencies just holding on to this idea that they own creativity, which I mentioned earlier, yeah. um, doesn't acknowledge the fact that you know, marketers are now under a huge amount of pressure to actually contribute to top-line growth. Yes. And that's all about performance. And you can sit there with your fingers crossed and say, you know, Creativity will help this campaign work. And in fact, there's evidence that creativity does actually drive business growth. And I think we've got to be fair to the agencies because you know, we can generalize. There's a lot of the agencies that are doing amazing growth because of their specialty. And they're able to look at you know incredible impact within the, the tight vertical that they work. It's where you're looking at you know the bigger agencies of uh, creative agencies where I think it's less easy to understand what impact they're having on the growth scale. Mm. Um, I think the other problem too is that the marketers aren't necessarily best friends with sales inside the client side. So um, I always suggest to the agencies, go talk to the head of sales and ask about what, what marketing is meant to deliver for them. Mm -hmm. And that way you can see it as supporting the marketer in the work that you're doing and understanding the bigger drivers of what the company's ambitions are. I mean, it's a very different thing when a company is trying to win market share versus profit. And if you know that as a marketer and as their agency, then you're going to recommend different things because mm. the levers are different. And this is the type of sophistication I'm not seeing happen. I mean, most of the time the agencies are focusing on flawless delivery, which is hard enough as on its own. Mm -hmm. um, and if you don't have a great relationship with your client and they've pigeonholed you into one sector, mm. you know, you're just working on trying to broaden out how your existing agencies see you instead of being pigeonholed so that you can get more organic growth. Yeah, I think um, your point about going and talking to sales is particularly important in the B2B space. Mm. You know, I, I, I can understand agencies are very focused on B2C and helping design and develop uh, communication and advertising strategies where businesses, their clients, talk to consumers. Yeah. I'm, I wonder sometimes, and what's your thoughts on this, that you know, even though they exist into a, a B2B category, you know, mm. they're marketing to other businesses, yes. they don't seem, apart from a few specialist B2B agencies, mm. most agencies really struggle with that concept, don't they? They do. And I think what's interesting is even within inside their B2C clients, one of the best ways to get new business from a client or a prospect is to actually go through that back door of the B2B side. You know, say for example, you're looking at a FMCG, well, there's consumer, but then there's usually trade. There's all sorts of different types of angles in. Uh, it could be trade, it could be retail. And um, 
they're not always the sexiest doors to walk in. So you can often have an easier conversation with those people because they don't have quite as long a line of people wanting to work with them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Often the B2B, Mm. you know, for an FMCG is the customer, which is the retailer. Exactly. But B2B exists in a lot of, even non-retail, there's Mm. there's often a B2B component. You know, for instance, banks. Banking, yeah, exactly. A lot of people forget that banks and insurance companies sell a lot through advisor channels. Well, the Royal Commission has shown us what advisor channels can look like, but yeah. um, yeah. And I think that's about the fact that that's not necessarily the exciting part of marketing that's been trained in the universities. So the talent you're getting through, they're not as thrilled to sit here and say, hey, we've been selling, uh, you know, motors to industrial trucks. That's the, um, the interesting thing about B2B is that the whole industry is really focuses and champions B2C. Even when you look at the awards, the big glossy awards are all about B2C, aren't they? The TV ad and the new campaign and that type of thing. Exactly. And, you know, one of the Trojan horse strategies I often suggest with my agencies is go in through the B2B part of even a B2C business because it's the door that's uh, less knocked on. So, you know, say, for example, you've got something like, uh, I don't know, uh, toilet tissue, right? You know, that's going B2C, but you also have all the uh, commercial elements of it, that B2B, that trade element of it. Um, Yeah, to the retailers. Exactly right. You've got to be able to get distribution and you need to make sure your product's out there. Even the movie theatres, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, So one of the issues that we've seen is this downward pressure on pricing. Mm. Yeah, there was a time under the commission system that an agency, being creative and media, was getting around, it was 17.5%, but it was actually compounded to around 19%. Then around the mid-90s, that changed around the time that you started your business. Yeah. Um, And what we've seen is this pressure on marketing budgets, especially in the last 10 years, but a pressure on agency fees. Mm. What component of this sort of advice and consulting that you do with agencies helps them understand the value and how to position themselves with value? Well, I think there's a couple of things. Um, In terms of the pricing, just in terms of their operational element, a lot of times they're over-servicing clients by up to 30 to 50%. So they're just not operationally fit. Um, which means that they can't actually, uh, there's a lot of wasted time. And so if you're thinking about what you're paying staff, I mean, you might find a situation where a third of the day is not, your staff's not generating any revenue for your business anyway. Mm-hmm. And they do that because they're so desperate to keep the clients happy that they don't want to rock the boat. Yeah. I think on the other side, they're not finding out what the clients are actually spending in the services that the agencies uh, you know, can sell. So they're working with clients that don't have the budgets that make them any profit. Um, I think in terms of actual pricing, the agencies need to be able to get better at showing the impact they're having so that they can demonstrate the value that their, uh, their service offers and therefore that the price um, is worth it. It's really interesting that you uh, raise that because one of the um, big issues, when we talk about performance-based, you know, getting paid yeah, for results exactly. or payment by results is the other way. 
A lot of agencies are really nervous because they feel like, yes, we make a contribution, but we can't control this, mm. okay? And um, I think it's because they're looking for an empirical solution. Yeah. They're looking for that sort of solid link between results or the value that they create and the value of their contribution. When in actual fact, it comes down to framing. Yes, you exactly. Know, it's as simple as... You know, for instance, um, if you were uh, talking about media, for instance, you know, and the client's got a $20 million budget and you want $2 million, it's a simple framing exercise to say, well, you know, as a percentage and the value that we will create out of that $20 million will be, let's say, $40 million. Or you could pay us $1 million and we just give you $20 million worth of value. Exactly. Which one do you want? See, that's a framing exercise. Yes. It's just creating a frame as a point of reference. Mm. Agencies seem to really struggle with that concept. And, and I think it's because they set themselves up to not be paid a bonus for what they can control. And so that's because they're not understanding what's happening internally at their clients' organizations to go, why has this brief even come down in the first place? What is the organization trying to achieve? How is marketing being seen um, as actually doing a great job or not? What's the KPI of the CMO? How much of their bonus in, that goes into their pockets tied up into this? Mm. Um, so I, I think with a little more investigation from the agencies of what the impact levers are they can see and measure, mm. that, and Get creative. It doesn't always have to be revenue, profit, market share. It can be other impacts that are of value. Nobody's just ever discussed them or explored getting compensated for them. Yeah, I, I think it's also a little bit to do with the fact that it's all cost-based. Yes. You know, agencies um, really feel uncomfortable with talking about uh, moving beyond, well, here's the resources and they have a value because this is what we pay them. And then there's an overhead factor and a pro, you know, it's very incremental. It's very um, practical, but it's not very inspiring. No, and I think it, it two things are happening. One, it doesn't allow them to um, demonstrate that their strategic thinking has a value. Um, not just the execution. Mm. Um, and I think on the other side, when they are looking at execution, they're often being done as projects, not retainers. Mm. So they've got to be, get smarter and quicker at quoting where they can make a profit. So uh, it's the over-servicing, I think, is a big problem. Uh, oh, that, uh, yeah. uh, Which is a service mentality, isn't it? Yeah. Giving someone extra service, even though they're not paying for it. Yeah. So half of it is, you know, are they working at 100% optimum efficiency and not wasting time? Mm. The other side is if a client is wasting their time, which can happen, it can simply be an, a, a, an opportunity for an agency to show clients how other clients are working more efficiently and effectively. So rather than criticize your client, go, hey, we work with like 15 other companies and we're finding that we could share some best practice of techniques from mm. our other clients that you could utilize and could make your job easier. Mm. And it's it's framing it psychologically so that you're not at war, but you're seen as um, offering really valuable advice mm. from your expertise as opposed to being critical about how they work. 
Yeah, it's true. I mean, uh, it's certainly better to offer a solution than just to highlight the problem. Look, I had an agency and I didn't know what to do with them. They were pitching for a government piece of business and I saw the credentials that they sent uh, as part of the RFP and it was a big document, RFP, and I went, oh my God, there was 197 typos through the whole thing. And I went, this is the worst piece of thing I've ever seen in my life. How do I get them to stop this? And that's what I did is rather than criticize them, I said, I notice that you're not living up to best practice from the other agencies I'm working with. Could we have a meeting with who's put this together so I could share with you the difference? And they filled the boardroom. So it was a really nice way of being able to critique it. That was a very nice way. Um, We actually got a a proposal, a RFP, or not an RFP, a credentials proposal, Um, that actually had another client's name oh, all the way yes, through. And uh, <laughs> we, we weren't that nice. We just phoned up and said, uh, we're extending the deadline by one hour. Yes. We'd recommend you do search and replace. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you were nice. I, well, I learned that the very hard way. Way back in New York when I worked for the very first new business consultancy in all of America, way back when, we had General Mills and General Foods. Oh, and it no. was the end, of, you know, it was the era of DM, right? So mm. we were sending out a, a direct mail piece for an agency and, and we swapped the names. And I picked up the phone and got, and they were both Johns, right? So, yeah. hi, John, we'll never work with you ever. Why? I've never spoken to you before. You sent me the General Mills letter. And I went, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> so you learn once, you yeah, never yeah. do it again, right? <laughs> yeah, there's nothing like a good proofreader in every studio. Well, this is the thing. I mean, I cannot tell you how much an agency is letting stupid, sloppy mistakes slip through for a business that's worth tens of millions of dollars to them. So it really is t- about lifting the, the the rigor with which agencies operate. I mean, we can have a lot of fun, don't get me wrong, but do the basics yeah. well or don't bother. Yeah. In fact, um, you know, one of the things that the holding companies was yeah. about was, you know, agencies were uh, terrific, creative, mm. strategic places, but they were poorly run businesses mm. in that they were paid very well, but they wasted a lot of money because they weren't particularly well run. Along comes the holding company, snaps up a whole lot of agencies, pulls the back end, makes that more efficient, blah, 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 you know, really turning them into good well-run businesses but they're still a part of the agency world or the agency business that needs prof, you know to increase their sort of professional you know, focus acumen, acumen um, especially in the face of the consulting companies going back going to that. back to the loop and it's interesting I have uh, a number of clients that are getting to the age where they're finding it hard to get another agency CEO role so they're actually moving over client side which is another conversation about mm. age diversity um, but what they're saying is that the training they're getting, the business training, I mean, one said, Jules, if I knew 10 years ago what I know now, I would have been such a better agency MD. Mm. Um, and I think the best thing, the one recommendation I would give to every agency CEO is go to the Institute of Company Directors and get your... Do the course. Do the course. Yeah. Because, you know, you are then able to have a conversation on an equal level about what, speaking the language of the boardroom. Mm-hmm. I mean, so 
often, you know, the, the language spoken in an agency conference room is, is like a different country when you go to the client's boardroom. And the agency executive leadership team needs to know how to translate. And they don't, they don't even find it exciting. So if they want to make it life great and easy for themselves and have lots of great clients with spending a lot of money and never leaving and giving them more work to be more creative and uh, em- employ their strategic thinking, they've got to get excited about high-level business conversations mm. and the and the PLs. I was just thinking about the type of people that end up as CEOs or managing directors of agencies. Mm-hmm. They're usually the ones that are very good with clients. The relationship builders. Yeah, and very good, you know, account management people yeah. end up as the CEO. And in actual fact, you need someone that's a good business person. Yeah. And gets the business yeah. of uh, advertising. I found some of the best CEOs uh, the, come from strategy who have discipline, mm-hmm. right? So not all, all strategy people are disciplined in their wonderful idea generation, but the ones that do are brilliant because they can see the future, they can see the big picture, they mm. can see what's going on. So they're quite exciting. The other agency CEO is the uh, creative writer because mm-hmm. they're able to see different from a different perspective. That's an interesting perspective. Yeah. yeah. And but the other thing I find with with the suits that become CEOs is that sadly it's attrition because not attrition they've been there it's tenure excuse me yeah. it's tenure where they've been there the longest and they're technically they're technicians i mean if you've read the uh, the e-myth uh, I yeah, think it's yeah, michael course, gerber yeah, yeah, yeah. right i mean it's you know technicians that have become managers and they've not yeah, been they're trained not on any of it and not, they're not managers you yeah. know so they haven't they haven't been trained for it yeah. Um, I, I um I call that capillary action at the yeah. as the drips at the top dry yeah, up, yeah. the ones underneath yeah. get sucked up. Exactly. You know, it's it's that sort of you know it's a derogatory uh, metaphor, but yeah, you know, in some ways, and, and and you touched on it before. You know, I mean, advertising churns through people, mm. and the pyramid of the structure means that there's less senior roles at the top. Mm. But it really doesn't have a place for people that, you know, unless you're one of those that can get that top job, mm. there's a lot of other people that were your peers that just drop out of the industry, don't they? Well, you either launch your own business yeah. or you go somewhere else. And the problem is that, you know, as, as, uh, the middle's been stripped out of a lot of the agencies. So you've got juniors and you've got seniors, and therefore the seniors are doing the work of the, the middle used to do. So that's just creating all sorts of chaos. <laughs> Or they're promoting the juniors way too quickly to to do do jobs that they're really not experienced enough to do. Exactly. And then I think that just breeds this whole inner game of entitlement that is toxic. Well, we we pulled up an agency because within four years, the account manager, let's Mm. say account exec, because account execs don't Don't exist exist anymore. anymore. So account manager had become a senior account director in four years. And we're going, whoa. Yeah. Very smart person, but Mm. probably not really a senior account director in four years. Yes. And, and, you know, I remember um, we were pitching years ago, probably 20 years ago, when I first got to the country, that we had a direct competitor and they had promoted all of their account executives to account managers so that the client that they were pitching for thought they had more senior people on the business. Of course, you know, it's called, we call it a title promotion. Exactly. No salary increase, but you've got a new business card. Exactly. Going back a step, you said they either 
um, leave the industry or they set up their own. Yes. Now, that's really interesting to me because there are lots and lots mm. of Little small guys. businesses, mm-hmm. small agencies out there that are not agency of the year, mm. are not winning creative awards, but are making a good living filling a whole lot of little niches mm. in the industry, aren't they, or in the in the landscape. And often there aren't even awards they could enter to win in yeah. terms of the work that they're doing and, and the niche they've carved for themselves. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always for the entrepreneur that's uh, taken the initiative to, to go at it. So, mm. um, yeah, I work with a lot of them. So th- there's many a kitchen table I sit around to sit here and plan how can they occupy a place in the market where they can exist and be distinctive um, and also make a living and pay their mortgage yeah. and, and have, a, have a future. Yeah, uh, but I'm wondering, because uh, Mark Buckman, and I, I'm not sure if it was at Telstra or CBA, mm. he came out and he said, the problem is there's way too many agencies. Do we have too many agencies? Is the pro- one of the problems with you know, the whole pricing um, structure, value structure, the highly competitive nature of pitching is the problem that we've got too many that are largely not distinctive enough to fill a position in the marketplace and so become commoditized. I'm going to be a little bit harsh. I don't think we have too many agencies. I think we have too many mediocre agencies. Right. So I think the quality of the work is average for a fair few of the agencies that are out there. And I think that's having an impact both within the agency community and for the marketers. Because if you're working with kind of mediocrity all the time, you start to disparage the agencies as a whole. Mm. So how do you find the excellence that's out there, the super smart ones? I mean, at one point, social media didn't exist 10 years ago or whatever it was. So who were the amazing market, you know, agencies yeah, word of mouth. that came up with this influence? You know, it, it, there's always, I, I mean, I, I, I speak a lot on how do you diversify as an agency into a new service offering that you have no experience in, no case studies in, and get business. Yeah. Well, the way you do it is because there's a need of what's coming in the future as a new issue that mm. nobody's dealt Identify with the trend exactly. that'll lead to the opportunity and be positioned yeah. there. To lead to that direction. So it can be a very exciting space. Because one of the problems with this huge number of, mm. you know, and, and I agree with you, there's a lot of mediocrity, a lot of medium market suppliers, mm. and I'll call them suppliers and vendors. Yeah. Because when we look at a roster, you know, most marketers go, oh, no, I've only got three or four agencies. And then you go, no, when we look at your uh, finances, when we look at your ledger, your spend profile, mm. you're actually spending with about three or four hundred different companies. And they go, you know, it's like the shock. They're completely blown away. And it's because there's so many people out there that are just sort of nipping away going, oh, I can do that for you, that suddenly they've got, you know, eight design companies and 16 PR companies and 27 event companies. Well, you know, I think a great example might be, we probably remember this, is I was at Lintas and when Peter Hoskins went out and created uh, 360 360, for the CBA, 
the savings that that agency created for CVA were astronomical in terms of being able to solve exactly the dilemma that you were describing. Just consolidating Just all of that. Just the printing of brochures, yeah, I think, yeah. saved them a million dollars a year. I mean, it was mm. ridiculous. Don't quote me, but, you know, no, no. something huge. No, that's right. I mean, there is an opportunity to uh, for, for uh, marketers mm. to get this back under control, but it's, it's like um, a constant battle because the market is flooded with people that really don't have anything unique, different or distinctive to offer, except that they're there and they're constantly just you know, there hoping to pick up something. I, and I think there's a lot of clever ones out there doing unique either sectors or expertise or they see a new um, uh, need coming. Mm. Um, I think the other side of it is that the, the agencies and the, and the marketers are collaborating so the agencies are blending together mm. um, and actually working side by side so that there's a deeper understanding, as you were saying, about the process an agency goes through to actually deliver the work and then the agencies can be actually on site with the client to see how, what's really going on, sometimes operationally, sometimes politically, mm. understanding how the silo sector. So I think that blended agency-client relationship can be exciting. The only problem with that model, because we've seen it come and go and come and go, is that the agency staff get bored working on one, one piece of business. Yeah. So unless that business is diversified themselves in, in their products, then um, yeah, it's kind of hard to stay fresh. Now, um, you've started a new role as well, you know, I have. Um, so, yes. so to be clear, you're still running your yes. business, yes. but you're now the Australian Director for SI Partners. Yes. Now, yes. this is mergers and acquisitions? It, it is. Um, the way it happened, I met um, Alistair Angus. We were both speaking at Priya. And uh, I was talking about actually that subject of how do you diversify into new services when you don't have experience or case studies. Uh, and he was talking about how to get fit for sale. Um, and I had a client at the time, a couple that were looking to sell. So we got to talking and um, he realized that I could help with the growth mandate that he obviously tells, um, he and, and the global business is always instructing agencies, you need to grow to get to a certain value in order to uh, achieve your future. It's not always a sell mandate. It's sometimes just hitting uh, growth targets mm -hmm. and ambitions. Um, and then when I shared what I did in New Business Mastery, he realized that he hadn't seen a program like that that took agencies step by step by step on how to do it really effectively and efficiently. Mm. So, Because um, it really is about building not just a marketing strategy, oh no, but it's a, a sales huge, strategy yeah. and one that is actually accountable to results. Absolutely. Well, New Business Mastery is all about how do you win business uh, in three meetings from a cold prospect without having to pitch. Mm. That's the core of it. And then there's the before, the foundation, the vision that you need to have. Marketing and PR is a very small part of it. But what Mastery does, New Business Mastery, is it moves you from thinking that new business equals pitching. Because yeah. it doesn't. It doesn't. And the better you get at New Business Mastery, then you can never pitch again if you want to. Mm. Um, and only pitch for the stuff that you know you can win. So your mm. win rate goes up to 80% mm. um, or higher. And your 
pipeline fills with you know ideal clients that are spending what you want where you want um, the SI partnership um, relationship is that I'm uh, the as the director of Australia helping to grow the Australian market not only in the consultancy side which is where we help agencies grow but also when they want to get to a place that they're ready to exit it's also helping them on their earnout phase because uh, SI is different in the way that they stay for the length of the earnout phase that way they right. can be more genuine in what they're recommending the selling agency realizes that they're in it with them so they've got skin in the game um, it, it's quite an exciting uh, opportunity and and they're extraordinarily uh, talented because they're specialists only in agencies and tech usually that has a marketing facing side to the tech so um, then london uh, hong kong new york singapore and uh, doing more in australia so it's exciting so you'll be uh, driving uh, the mergers and acquisitions for uh, okay. si partners here i will be working closely with them to do so yes yes it's a, it's a, it, i think what's also exciting about it is that it puts agency new business growth into a very different place mm-hmm. i mean often what i talk to my clients naturally about so the fit with si was was pretty um uh, predestined, if you will, is I'll talk to a, a CEO of an agency and say, how old do you want to be when you don't have to work for a living, but you choose to work for a living? Mm. And they go, oh, and they haven't really thought of that. And no. everybody does thinks about exit strategy, but doesn't really in terms of the time. So you go, okay, well, let's say you need to get to a certain uh, EBIT to be ready to sell, to be big enough to sell, or, or to get the return that you want. Well, that might take a couple of years. And then the sell itself might take you know, plan for a year, you know, and then the earnout might be three, might be four, mm. might be two, who knows, say it's five. That's eight years from today. Mm. And especially, you know, going back to what you said before, if mm. the reason they've gone out to start their own business is because there they was no longer a place yeah. inside the organization, yeah. they could be doing this in their 40s. Mm. So they need to be thinking about, you know, what is their um, short, medium, and long-term objectives, which is weird, isn't it? Because I wonder how many people start businesses without actually having that in mind. Most. I would say it's a... Re- see, I think our, our industry, and it's not unique, but our industry is incredibly re- reactive. Yeah. We're, we're designed as agencies to solve problems. So we react to the problems the clients give us. We're not wired for proactively leading, and that's the shift that I train and mastery is how do you lead? How do you move forward in the way that you want? Not mm. um, not to be the, the effect of someone else's cause, but to be the cause, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Hey, uh, Julia, this has been great to catch up. Thank you for your time. My pleasure. Um, got one last question, and this is a bit controversial, but um, who's your favorite agency? Mm-hmm.